reporter Jen Judson and CSIS analyst Tom Carrico discuss growing worldwide air and missile defense activities. Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. Passive defense becomes important. The hardening of, of let's just say, shelters uh, to protect those. Eventually, you know, stuff will get through from time to time. The pair discuss everything from Patriot batteries in Ukraine to persistent Red Sea attacks to what might be needed to prevent another Tower 22-like attack. I'm your host, Jonathan Lairfeld. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Happy New Year. I know it's February already, (laughs) but welcome back to another rundown on uh, what's on our radars in missile defense. I'm Jen Judson, land warfare reporter at Defense News with Tom Carrico, missile defense expert at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Tom, thanks again uh, for joining me at the table here. Good to be um, back. Yeah, it's a lot has happened. Um, I think we'll kick things off with a, a few recent headlines in, in the missile world. I think there's been a heck of a lot of activity in Ukraine, a heck of a lot of activity in the Red Sea, uh, in the Middle East. Uh, so let's start with, with Ukraine. Um, what are some of the things that you're observing when it comes to um, missile attacks, missile defense uh, performance uh, in Ukraine in the past few months? Uh, and there has been quite a bit. So. Yeah. So, th- yeah, the Russians are keeping up the attacks. Obviously, you know, there is concern about the Ukrainian capacity, just how long that uh, what they've got will be able to, to, to hang on. Right. We saw a couple months ago the Japanese kind of helping out by transferring for, uh, in kind of in a historic way, transferring some of their PAC-3s to the United States to kind of alleviate some of the uh, some of the supply that we've been sending over there. You know, there have been some public calls recently uh, in recent weeks for more patriots to go. We've talked about this before. It is a scarce asset, right. uh, and so there's going to be real limitations uh, on that. I would say another major uh, development there is the uh, transfer of the ground-launched small-diameter bomb. We've talked about that before. I think it was just yesterday, uh, February 14, that, that some news came out uh, that uh, it had apparently uh, been used. Uh, right. In Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully to uh, to good effect, <laughs> and uh, you know there, there there's going to be lots more uh, uh, to watch on that space. I mean, in terms of Patriot, we've talked about this a lot, as you said before. This is this is one area in the particular in the army that um, has the highest op tempo. Um, so, how realistic is is it that you think that Ukraine could eventually get more actual Patriot systems? Patriot missiles. It looks like they're you know, getting some help from from Japan, like you said. Um, but there's only so many uh, missiles that we have to give, uh, especially when you think about making sure that you're ready for other areas, yeah, like sure. other theaters, Indo-PACOM. Um, you know, that's a big concern. The acquisition chief uh, for the Army, Doug Bush, has said, you know, that that's the biggest concern is just making sure that that you have it for contingencies like Indo-PACOM, and that may seem like it's years away, but you never not <laughs> never not want to be prepared for that. Well, a so, lot of our patriots are kind of been uh, shuttled over to the Middle East 
to exactly. kind of tamp things that, down that too. because that, it's, that it's accelerates. even more stretched than you could, uh, can you imagine. So do you think Ukraine would be successful in getting more Patriot over there? I know it's it's doing well from the reports that I've seen in the news, but it, it is that asset that they just cannot get enough of and, and the Army just cannot give. Right. Well, I mean, to, to be, I think to be fair, though, that the uh, there probably will be a, 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 an ongoing uh, supply, not necessarily just from the United States, but other folks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a little bit longer term, but it is was also gratifying to see that Germany uh, in recent weeks, uh, signed a really big deal uh, to uh, co-produce the Pac-2s. Sure. Uh, and so that's going to help, I would say, the global uh, <laughs> supply side uh, aspect. But that's going to be some uh, some years away. Sure. But but that's, uh, you know, a reflection of this. And by the way, Slovakia is also interested, or expressed interest, rather, in getting uh, patriots to replace their exactly. uh, national air defense <laughs> that they gave away to Ukraine a couple years ago. So the other thing is that it's not just about Patriot. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, the, the common trope and the headlines uh, <laughs> of the $2 million interceptor versus the 20000 or $2,000 drone or something like that. But the fact of the matter is we're not really using Patriots against those kind of threats. Exactly. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of gun-based mm-hmm. uh, uh, gun-based or, or cheaper stuff that's that's used and can be used and should be used against those other kinds of threats. So uh, I think I, I expect that the Ukrainians are probably – uh, husbanding their uh, their patriots, you know, for a good good uh, good cause. Sure, absolutely. Um, shifting over to the Red Sea, I mean, it seems like almost daily we're hearing about um, shoot shooting down uh, various drones that are buzzing over over ships there. Talk about some of the trends that you're seeing. You know, it seems like uh, capabilities are are doing their jobs uh, there. Um, but anything you think that. Uh, you know, the U.S. Navy um, should be doing differently. Um, is is there going to be a point where this is just too overwhelming? Um, what are your thoughts about what's happening in the Red Sea? Well, look, the the performance of the uh, several uh, air defense systems on the USS Gravely and other ships uh, over in the Red Sea has been pretty remarkable. Yeah, uh, and uh, they've been shooting down quite a bit of stuff. They've been doing some firsts for the. Uh, the Sea Wiz, the Close In Weapon System, mm-hmm. also uh, Great name. reportedly the uh, the SM six, mm-hmm. uh, apparently first time uh, used in combat there as well, but lots of SM twos yeah. uh, in addition. Uh, and so you know, there's there's concern, of course, about yeah. the capacity side. Uh, but you know, fundamentally, what's the job of air defense, whether it's on a ship or land, is to to buy time yeah. uh, to bring other forces to bear. Now, you know, some weeks went by before the Biden administration decided to bring those forces to bear, to strike uh, some targets mm-hmm. uh, in Yemen and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Might have waited a little too long uh, and just sort of played catch a little too long. Air defense can buy space for decision makers, but it doesn't guarantee the decision makers will make sufficiently good uh, decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expect, unfortunately, that that's not going to be insufficient, that uh, it probably didn't bring enough pain to the decision makers, which in this case... Doesn't is, seem to have dropped off in yep. attack rates at yep. this point. And, and the <laughs> thing about proxies to the Iranians is they're expendable. Mm-hmm. And so they'll they'll reconstitute, unfortunately, and they'll probably... It's you not know, particularly expensive capability yep. that they're sending. That's forward. right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously in, in very, very sad news in the last couple of months, uh, there was an attack in the Middle East, Tower 22 in Jordan. Talk about what happened there. It sounds like, um, you know, the six service members who were killed um, were sleeping in, in some sort of uh, compartment um, shelter, but it's almost like this this threat slipped in um, 
behind a, a front what they determined was a friendly threat. Talk about what you're hearing in, in terms of what happened there, um, what your thoughts are on that, and you know, it's whether you think that there was a, a capability that could have taken care of that if that if the intel had just been different. Um, you know, we, do, does it seem like we don't have the capability? Or is it just the, the tactic techniques and procedures weren't um, followed? I think it was the Wall Street Journal that reported that uh, they, they, they thought that the, uh, the threat uh, UAV that came in, which was subsequently identified, might have kind of trailed uh, a friendly uh, returning. And so what that does is it kind of masks its signature. Uh, let's just say a, a radar or something picks it up and it sees a blip, but maybe it sees one blip instead of two blips. Uh, it says, okay, well, we know what that is. That's our thing returning. And so whether it was luck or whether it was really uh, well-coordinated, I mean, it's, it's obviously very, very unfortunate. Yeah. And that really comes down to, to a combat ID problem. Uh, sufficient sensors, but also to, uh, a combat ID to uh, discriminate, mm-hmm. uh, uh, discriminate and identify. You know, we're not going to be shooting at friendlies willy-nilly. And so it's a, it's a hard problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of folks have said, well, where, where, where were the coyotes? You know, that's kind of stuff. But again, right. if you can't, <laughs> if you don't have the, uh, the authorization and the, and the threat classification, you're not going to shoot at it. Mm-hmm. But then that begs the question, well, then what are we supposed to do about this? And I think, you know, as a practical matter, no air defense detection, no, no air defense classification is perfect. And so at that point, passive defense becomes important. The hardening of mm-hmm of, let's just say, shelters uh, to protect those events, you know, stuff will get through from time to time. I d- I'm not sure if it was a reaction to Tower 22, but we did see the Army uh, rapidly acquire, I think, another 600 uh, Coyote interceptors for $75 million just uh, a few short weeks after that incident. So hard to tell what that was for, but um, it, it, was an inter- it did have an interesting timing uh, to it. Shifting over to the development world, um, big news yesterday on Valentine's Valentine's Day. Present to me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was a nice Valentine's present (laughs) for those of us in the missile defense world. Uh, The HBTSS launched uh, from SpaceX, uh, I believe, a SpaceX platform. And uh, so, Tom, if you can talk about the significance of uh, these sensors that are going into space. um, How important are these? What are you going to be watching for? I think they're going to be up there for at least a year assessment, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so what do they need to accomplish in the next Yeah, year? so look, th- this, is, this is a really important prototype. Uh, it's a cooperation between Missile Defense Agency and Space Development Agency. Uh, it had both the hypersonic and ballistic uh, tracking uh, sensor system, but also, uh, you know, a bunch of other tranche zero things. Mm-hmm. And so that's, this is sort of the first salvo of getting stuff up there to not just see and, and have a general sense that, hey, there's a, a missile been launched, missile warning, but no kidding, uh, tracking into tracking these maneuvering hypersonic things with sufficient sufficient clarity to be able to do something about it, which is to say to conduct a fire control mm-hmm. solution uh, to send something after it. So uh, they'll be up there. They'll be you know tuning themselves and looking for various mm-hmm. threat missiles, perhaps looking for some of ours mm-hmm. uh, as uh, you know LRHW, the long range hypersonic weapon, right. hopefully gets tested here soon. <laughs> and uh, but it's a, it's a big day. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a really important system. We've been talking about space-based missile tracking for about 40 years, oh. and uh, we're finally getting around to it, uh, and that's, this, is a, this is a good thing. Yes, an, an enormous milestone. Um, you mentioned uh, the long-range hypersonic weapon uh, capability, and yes, we are waiting for tests. Are you hearing anything new? Uh, or I think the last time I heard anything, it was uh, another attempt would be made sometime this spring. 
um, already behind schedule, at least on the Army side, uh, in fielding uh, hypersonic interceptors uh, to the first unit. They have all the rest of their equipment. Supposed to, it was supposed to be in their hands by the end of the year, mm. but obviously yeah. continues to uh, experience issues. Seems to be like directly on the launch pad. <laughs> yeah, well, look, they're, they're not, flights <laughs> I guess there's, there's been different challenges with the targets, with the launcher, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, not been any uh, reports that it's been the missile that's mm-hmm. been a problem. And, you know, it's a, it's a scarce asset, so they want to make sure that when they test it, uh, it it's under the best yeah. conditions, yeah. Uh, not just popping it off. And so, uh, you know, hopefully that will that will take place here in the in the coming uh, coming weeks and so. And uh, that will be a, a big step forward for the Army to, mm-hmm. to get something out there, presumably in the Pacific, uh, probably in the Pacific, uh, to uh, support the MDTFs, the multi-domain task yes. forces and the like, uh, to just have one other, you know, complicating factor uh, in the uh, in the China deterrence calculus. What are you hearing, you know, if, if they have a successful test this spring, um, are you hearing anything in terms of how quickly uh, that would translate to getting interceptors to the Army, uh, to their first unit? I, I, I would expect that to go, you know, relatively relatively fast. Yeah. Last year, they were talking about declaring IOC in September yeah. uh, if, okay. if they had the successful test. Mm-hmm. So I, I would expect if everything goes mm-hmm. well that you'll, you'll get it out there. Again, as you know now, yeah. they've already been doing a lot of the training yeah. uh, and that sort of thing uh, ahead of time. My eyes are on this one because you know, every time I see delays, uh, <laughs> I start to worry about ultimate cancellations and maybe a little traumatized from last week when the Army decided to cancel the future uh, armed reconnaissance aircraft, but that was a little less far along, um, so. <laughs> well, if that, you know, that's going to be interesting. Speaking of FARA, is haven't specified what, but, you know, notionally it's going to be something unmanned. Yep, yeah. Uh, and so, so that's interesting. I, I can't help but think, you know, it kind of is interesting timing in terms of talking about Project Replicator and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. a decent amount of money was spent on FARA before they, for yeah. before, they, uh, before they canceled it, but uh, we'll watch that. That's it for us this morning. To get more of the top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com slash EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Defense underscore news and at Military Times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted by me, Jonathan Lairfeld, and produced by Zimone Z. Perez. If you like Jen's conversation today, be sure to check out her work at defensenews.com. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gruss. Have a great day.